0: please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. Galatians chapter 6. I don't know exactly how to start off here this morning to tell you the honest truth. Uh, We are dealing with this topic, the ministry of reconciliation. Now, we have been looking through the book of Galatians, and we have been considering this letter that Paul wrote to the churches there. And we have been considering it uh, through this lens when the gospel is being perverted. So we have went through a lot of different things. The primary topic has been whether we are justified by faith or by works. That is the argument that has been going on. And in Sunday school this morning, uh, Devin was dealing with question three of the shorter catechism which is, what do the Scriptures principally teach? And the answer is, the Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and the duties that uh, God requires of man. The reason why the doctrinal discussion was so important earlier in this epistle is because what you believe will have consequences... What you believe will bear fruit. What you believe will dictate your practice. And let me say, so I don't want to, I don't want to um, disappoint. Because I don't know how to start here this morning. So I don't want to disappoint. And you know, everybody likes controversy, right? So I don't want to disappoint. And the reason why we don't have a ministry of reconciliation anymore is because we're Pharisees. And that's what we're dealing with. You see, our beliefs dictated certain consequences and actions. So, in the late 1800s and in the early 1900s, as modernism and liberalism started having dominance, it caused us to say, No creed but the Bible. Let's throw out everything that the church has built. Because. We're going to save the world with our own personal evangelism. What churches are uh, personally evangelizing anybody today? None of them, right? You say, well, uh, I saw a flyer came out. Yeah, that was inviting you to some event to do something fun, right? I'm talking about the Declaration of the gospel. I'm talking about reconciling sinners to God and reconciling sinners to man. We don't see that. It's not even on our minds. It's even not even in our consideration. And the reason is, is because we have became just like the Pharisees. They didn't have any concern about reconciliation. It was all about them. It was all about how they looked. It was all about holding the goodness of man and especially their own goodness, right? But Paul, the reason why he is switching directions here in chapter 6 towards this ministry of reconciliation is because the doctrine that he was just debating and arguing has consequences and justification by. Faith alone demands reconciliation. Justification by your own goodness doesn't demand reconciliation. You see, justification by faith alone demands that you are right in relation to God, what you believe about God, and what your duties are. So there's a concern about reconciliation here because of the doctrine, what we are supposed to believe that has been proclaimed by Paul throughout this epistle. And so as he comes down to the end of chapter 5, remember, he starts talking about what the fruit of the Spirit is. In other words, those who have been justified by faith alone, which means... That it is a work of God, not a work of man. But this work of God produces fruit. Because it is the fruit of the Spirit that is working faith in you to be justified through Jesus Christ. And so he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. In other words, they're giving up themselves to God. Which also results, by the way, in giving up ourselves to those who are Christ's and to one another. But he says, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So he's saying that if we are claiming to be justified by faith, if we are claiming that we are justified by God through the work of the Holy Spirit, then let's live like it. Let's act like it. And then he says this, in conclusion of that chapter, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In other words, a work of the Spirit has a focus on reconciliation. A work of the flesh is all about me. That's why he says, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6, after he says... Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So that's what we have been considering, and this is our fourth week, so I guess you could say this is part four of the ministry of reconciliation. We begin by looking at the communion in the conflict and to understand, first of all, that there is conflict, right? Um, There's positive conflict, there's negative conflict, there's friendly conflict, there's adversarial conflict. There's all kinds of different conflict, but what we saw was the conflict specifically here, like in uh, chapter uh, 2 with the conflict between uh, Paul and Peter, this conflict is friendly. Now, when Paul confronted Peter, he confronted him to his face because he was to be blamed. It was still conflict, right? The wounds of a friend... Our kindness. Remember, we looked at that in Proverbs, but the kisses of the enemy are deceit. So we have to remember that conflict's not necessarily a bad thing. As a matter of fact, in most cases, it is a good thing and a necessary thing. But notice there is communion in this conflict because he is he is addressing them all as brethren. He is pleading to them in brotherly love, those who are beloved, brethren. And so there's this communion in the conflict that we have been considering. And then last week we began looking at the classification of conflict. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, We looked at two different types of trespasses, right, to kind of get an understanding of what Paul is talking here and also in our dealings with one another and with the world, that there are presumptuous trespasses. Those are trespasses or sins that are bold and confident to excess, arrogant and with pride. In other words, it is a determination. It's being hell-bent to live like hell. It's a determination to sin. This is the way I'm going. And nobody can stop me and nobody can tell me what to do. There's that kind of sin, presumptuous sin. We see it manifested every June in the United States of America. They call them gay pride parades. But it's not just the gay pride parades. It's also when we, in arrogance, it's also when we are bold and confident to excess, to say, No! I'm going to do it my way! That's presumptuous sins. Then there are sins of ignorance, which doesn't necessarily mean lack of knowledge. Uh, It can also mean a lack of strength and weakness. In other words, it's not being bold and strong to sin. It's being overcome by sin because of ignorance. Presumptuous is without sorrow or repentance. Ignorance is being overtaken, but still having humility and sorrow for your sin. It is weakness not strength, to sin because of being weak. And so we considered those things. And this week, I want us to consider that phrase a little bit closer as we understand this distinction of the trespasses, and as we are able to classify the conflict here. Now there are two examples in the New Testament concerning this presumptuous and uh, sins of presumption and sins of ignorance. In First John chapter 1 and verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him. We re- use this a lot, don't we, um, in our liturgy, especially in relation to our confession of sin. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, what John is doing here is making sure we're classifying things properly. That if we are walking in darkness and we're saying we're in light, then we are not practicing the truth, we're lying. We're given a false testimony. And then he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then here's the catcher. This is the clincher, I should say. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So if we're always pretending that we're always walking in the light, we're lying. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. It's one thing to deceive other people, but man, what kind of fools are we when we deceive ourselves? That is the thing about this goodness of man doctrine that is so heretical and so evil and such a problem in our world. I don't even understand because think of the level of deception you have to have to convince other people that you're really good at heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really good at heart. Just the other day, and this is the way it is in going out in public nowadays anyway, but just the other day, in driving down the road, if I could have got my hands around the neck of that person that was driving that other car, I would have strangled the life out of them. But I'm naturally good. <laughs> I'm a good person. I am holy, spiritual. You ought to really... When you look at me, you ought, I mean, when you look at me, if there ever was being conformed in the image of Christ, that's me, right? <sighs> yeah, to deceive ourselves... That's what always strikes me as interesting. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And what kind of deception is that? Because you know better than anybody the evil in your own heart. You know, it wasn't the same person I wanted to strangle, but you know there was somebody you wanted to strangle. You know there was... Oh, some gal walking down the street, that's you. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, you're holy. Yeah. We have lust, hatred in our hearts. And what did Jesus what what did John say about hatred? Hatred's the same sin as murder. What did Jesus say about lust? Lust is the same sin as adultery. It's the exact same thing. But we're good. Well, John says, listen, if we, deceive, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But here's the difference in being a sinner, a presumptuous sinner. Or a weak, humble sinner. If we confess our sins. That is the key statement in the whole thing. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he goes on to repeat himself again. It says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay, so there is an example of those who are overcome with sins of ignorance. Those who are overtaken. And then the example of the presumptuous sins is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. We looked at the Old Testament passages last week, and so I wanted to make sure that you had a couple from the New Testament this week. Um, The writer of Hebrews says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains... A sacrifice for sins. That ought to get our attention. Now, we may not understand fully what's being stated there. and We may have to do some work in trying to understand what the writer of Hebrews is actually expressing there in that passage. But it ought to get our attention, right? At the very minimum. It does not nowadays because we just pass it all off. We have been so inundated with this easy believism of this modern generation and that everybody's going to heaven. Why is everybody going to heaven? Because they have faith. What do they have faith in? Well, they have faith in faith. And so we're all going to heaven. And so we just discount these passages of Scripture as if there's nothing to it. But if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, the writer of Hebrews says. Okay, so surely that gets our attention. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment. <laughs> Whoa! So what he's saying is, is something going on here that we cannot expect a remission of sins, but an expectation of judgment upon our sins and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' lull dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled, trampled the Son of God under foot, and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing? You see, that's the presumptuous thing. That's trampling. Trampling and discounting with irreverence. It's just a common thing. That is a very scary thing too when we talk about presumptuousness in our day and age because we have no fear of the sacred. That's not a good thing. That's a presumptuous mindset. That's a presumptuous attitude. And we have no respect for the sacred. We have no fear for the sacred. Well, that's a presumptuous sin. And it's the reason why the writer of Hebrews told us that we were to consider one another and to stir one another up uh, up to love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we have established here in our text that we're talking about a man being overtaken in a trespass, but we're talking about in this situation, now we're not dealing with other situations, but in this situation Paul is dealing with people within the church who have been overtaken. We're not talking about people who are... Um, uh, removing themselves from the church in defiance and rebellion and who um, are rejecting the faith. We're talking about a man who is being overtaken in trespasses. In other words, it's not presumptuous sins that are being dealt with here. But we can also affirm, though, that even though that's not what Paul is specifically talking about, we do have a ministry of reconciliation to the whole world. But we'll deal with that a little bit later more and specifically at another time but we have established here in our text that we're talking about a man being overtaken in a trespass we are not talking about high-handed rebellious pride shaking its fist at God and shaking its fist at the church which is shaking its fist at God <laughs> we have this crazy you know we 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 have justified our presumptuousness in this generation we have justified our rebellion by redefining everything right isn't that what we do we redefine everything and we usually redefine it in a way as to take away all meaning of anything how can we say that we don't shake our fist at God but we shake our fist at the things of God isn't that the same thing seriously talk about you know when we talk about this aspect of trampling underfoot and discounting the blood of the covenant so we we do it at the things of god we just ignore his word we treat the sacraments as just well if you want to do it you can if you don't you don't have to it's no big deal Examine yourself, well, you know. There doesn't have to be any real effort put into it. It's just whether or not, I mean, just, have you said the sinner's prayer? Oh, you're fine. We discount the things of God. We do not have fear of God, and we shake our fists at God by rejecting the things of God. That's the reason why we don't have a ministry of reconciliation nowadays. It doesn't exist in the church. And it's because we have snubbed our nose at God by discounting the things of God. So, we are not talking about high-handed rebellious pride shaking its fist at God here in our text. Because how can you restore such a one as that? Because force needs to be met with force. Which, by the way, when we really start considering our presumptuousness in this day and age in which we live, and knowing that force must be uh, uh, repelled by force, we had better fear the Lord. Because our rebellion must be met. With force. And we see the way that our society is going. And what I would say is this. Is that if we don't repent, we're going to receive much worse. We'll receive worse. Because force must be met with force. God cannot allow our rebellion to continue as the status quo. It cannot be accepted as that which is normal. And so force must be met with force, which is really what needs to happen in our society. (laughs) You know, um, the rebellion of our society, and reason it will be. It can either be met with by a, a pagan leader, Because what would God do to his people whenever they would rebel against him, they'd become idolatrous, they would discount the blood of the covenant and they would uh, reject the things of God and they would uh, serve themselves in their own pleasures. God would send a pagan to discipline them. Um... That may be what we need. Now, I would rather God sent us a Josiah, a godly man to discipline us. But at any case, force must be met with force. That's why we are told to contend for the faith in Jude chapter 1. We are told that certain men crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. They were ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to contend with them. All right? So there are friends and there are adversaries. But there's sin involved in all of it. Paul is talking about a brother who is overtaken in a trespass. Isn't it a strange thing today that we proclaim a gospel that can save the vilest of sinners? But not only do we not have a ministry of reconciliation, we don't have a care or concern about reconciliation. And this goes both ways. I mean, the church's attitude today And I'm not talking about lowering God's standard of righteousness. I'm talking about reconciling sinners, those who have transgressed God's law, which is every single one of us. But we look upon certain people as not worthy, don't we? In the church today? (laughs) Well, he's a math head. No hope for him. He's a sodomite. No hope for him. Uh, That's a homeless person. No hope for them. So we have all these people that we just really don't have any care or concern about in this ministry of reconciliation. But it's the same way within the church too, right? How many times over the years... That there has been someone in our congregations who was overtaken in any trespass. Any, 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 any trespass. Any violation of God's law. And we're like, he must not have been saved. Burn in hell, sinner! Not going to have any of those kind of people around here. What kind of people? Oh, sinners. Well, we have you and we have me. If any man is overtaken in any trespass. You see, we have this ministry of reconciliation and our job as the church of Jesus Christ is to reconcile sinners to God and sinners to one another. In God. To be reconciled. Now reconciliation doesn't mean leaving them in their sin. That's not reconciliation. We are to be first reconciled to God. And that's what First John chapter 1 is all about. If we say that we have fellowship with God and we walk in darkness. We lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, that's what we're to be reconciled back to. Whenever we walk in darkness, the job of the church is to reconcile us back to the light. You're like, I don't know that I like the direction that's headed. I'm telling you, each one of us as believers, as we continue to live our lives, we sin. Not only did we go astray as soon as we were born, but as soon as we come into uh, the uh, uh, worship of the church, and as soon as we confess our sins, and as soon as we walk out the doors, we start going astray. That's the reality of it. You're like, well, well, that that doesn't fit with what I've been told. Well, you was told wrong. Immediately, as a matter of fact, I am sinning as I'm preaching this sermon. That is how prone to sin we are. John Bunyan said this, He said, in the best prayer I have ever prayed, there was enough sin to damn the whole world. John Bunyan, the guy who was imprisoned for 12 years for preaching the gospel, wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and he said even his prayers were sinful. It's the reason why we have this ministry of reconciliation. What do you think Jesus is doing for us? He's reconciling us. Isn't this what we were told, that while we were enemies, in Romans chapter 5, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son? Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, because God uses means for our reconciliation. If you think you can be reconciled without the rest of the body of Christ, you can't. If you think you can be reconciled without the church, you can't. If you think you can be reconciled without the means of grace, you cannot. Because God has made his people ambassadors to appeal To one another for God. And then Paul says. Therefore we implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. That's our job. That is our job. Both in our own self-examination. And that is also our job. In our relationship with one another. And that is also our job. In relation to the world. Is to say. Be reconciled. To God. It is a call to be reconciled. Now notice first of all it says. Brethren if a man. And we're talking about. Any man. Specifically here in relation to the context of any man. Within their assembly. But this is true all throughout. If we was to deal with both. Church discipline and church evangelism. See, church discipline is reconciliation within the church. Church evangelism is to reconcile the world into the church. But notice, any man, any brother, and he's talking specifically within their assembly, which is similar to what John said. My little children, these things I write unto you in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, that... You may not sin. So I'm writing these things so that you won't sin, John says. I don't want you to be separated from God. And then he says this, and if anyone sins. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, which is a fancy word meaning he's the atonement. He's the the atoning sacrifice offered to God in order to satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf. Because God is angry with the wicked every day. God is angry about sin. God hates sin. God cannot dwell with sin. He is perfect and holy and just and right. He can't look upon sin. And so, his wrath is against all sin. And Jesus Christ came to satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf. That's what propitiation means. So, he satisfied the wrath of God in order to cause God to be gracious and merciful and favorable to us. Now, this trespass is sin in the life of a believer which is a news flash to many that Christians sin. You sin, I sin, every day and in every way, which means that we need to be reconciled to God and through the means that God has given us in the church. But this reconciliation is on God's terms. It's not on our terms. God has ordained the means by which man shall be saved, and we will be dealing with, that topic um, soon to come. So what I'm saying is this, is that the church is to be an agent of reconciliation and using the means that God has given for the salvation of sinners. And the problem today is that we have rejected all these things for an independent spirit of aton- autonomous atonement. Now, I know it's hard for us to take as independent sovereign agents in American Democratic, idealistic individualism. But the gospel is at stake here. And though it is hard to swallow, the, matter of, the fact of the matter is that our rejection of the ecclesiastical agency in reconciling sinners through the means of grace that God has given to us for our salvation has resulted in no reconciliation. So we cast all these things out because we had a new and better way And now here we are. This is where we are today, right? We now live in a pagan society, and the reason why is because we have cast out the means that God had given to his church for the reconciliation of sinners, and if you're not reconciling sinners, what are they? They're pagans. That's the reason why we live in a pagan society is because we rejected the ministry of reconciliation. We're not reconciling anyone anymore. We had new and better ways for evangelism. They didn't work. Word, sacrament, prayer, or we could say word, sacrament, discipline, word, sacrament, service. The primary means by which God has given us to reconcile sinners. And we said, oh, we don't want that. That's old-fashioned. That's too high, church. We don't want that. We want something new and better. And we chose it, and now here we are. But we are told here, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass. Notice he's overtaken. We're not going to spend much time here, but he's overtaken in a fault. He's overtaken in a trespass. He has sinned. And it can be (laughs) egregious sins. Any trespass against God's commandments. But notice if a man is overtaken in any trespass You see, the hope that is being stated there is that no matter what the sin, no matter what the trespass, that there is hope. Isn't the gospel the good news? Isn't the gospel hope? It's the hope for sinners to be reconciled. Even for those in the church. For if a righteous man falls seven times, he rises up again. Now, it is true. The Apostle John says, no one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. Why? Because he repents. That's why he doesn't keep on sinning, because he repents. And every time he sins again, he repents. He doesn't keep on sinning. Because no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. One of the reasons why he can't keep on sinning is because the church is doing its due diligence and doing what it has been commanded to do, which is, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you which are spiritual, restore such a one. And notice it is any trespass. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor, the, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this to them. Remember that church? That carnal church in Corinth? And he says, and such were some of you. There's not much left to be stated there. I mean, you know, adulterers, fornicators, idolaters, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves. Man. bunch of terrible sinners. Just like there's a bunch of terrible sinners here who have been washed and who have been sanctified and who have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of our God. Why? Because our job as the church is the ministry of reconciliation. Martin Luther said, there's nothing easier than sinning. John Calvin said, no one knows the 100th part. Of the sin that clings to his soul. In other words, no matter how sinful you think you are, you're a hundred times worse. You see, we have this ministry of reconciliation that if a man is overtaken in any trespass, what is our job? To restore him, to reconcile them back to God. That is the reason why I preach. That is the reason why we have the Lord's Supper and we warn you about examining yourself and confessing your sins and returning to the Lord your God. Because we are ambassadors of God for the reconciliation of the world. Yes. That is what we're supposed to be doing is reconciling the world. We're not supposed to be wringing our hands, hiding in the corner, fearful, distraught. No, we're to be reconciling the world. We've been commissioned for this task. You say, yeah, but it's so bad out there. We've been commissioned for that task. The very reason why it is so bad is the reason why God has commissioned his church to reconcile it. You see, there's this long-standing quarrel between God and man, Charles Spurgeon preached. It commenced in that day when our first parents hearkened to the serpent's voice and believed the devil rather than their maker. Yet God is not willing for that quarrel to continue According to the goodness of his nature, he delights in love. He is the God of peace, and he has, on his part, prepared everything that is needful for a perfect reconciliation. His glorious wisdom has devised a plan whereby, without violating his justice as the judge of all the earth, and without tarnishing his perfect holiness, he can meet man upon the ground of mercy, and man can again become the friend of God. That blessed work was done long ago, and now all that remains is that man should turn towards his maker again in love and peace and perfect reconciliation. He bids us, his ministers, and indeed all his servants, each according to his opportunity and experience and knowledge and ability and grace, to go abroad amongst the sons of men and exercise the ministry of reconciliation to labor to bring men into harmony with God, that they may be willing to accept what God has done toward the making of an everlasting peace and ending once for all this grievous quarrel. End of quote. And that was Charles Spurgeon preaching on the ministry of reconciliation. What is it that hinders this ministry of reconciliation today? Quite frankly, it's our pride Pride is what caused us not to seek reconciliation ourselves with God and man. But it is also that same pride that keeps us from reaching up. That same pride that keeps us from reaching up is the same pride that keeps us from reaching down. We won't turn to God because we're full of pride. And we won't try to reach man because we're full of pride. In this specific circumstance here in our text, Paul is speaking of a brother. But if we will not seek reconciliation for ourselves, we won't seek reconciliation for our brothers. And if we won't seek reconciliation for ourselves and we won't seek reconciliation for our brothers, do you really think that we will seek reconciliation for the vilest of offenders? There's a reason why we're in this state. Our current state is a result of our rejecting God's reconciliation. May we restore this ministry of reconciliation as we, recon, as we are reconciled to God and as we work in the reconciliation of each other and as we take this message of reconciliation into the world. Father, we pray that you would give us a desire for reconciliation, a love for you, and a love for our fellow man. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.